When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Squanderlust podcast about the emotional side of money, why our actions aren't always as good as our intentions, and what we can do about it. I'm your host, Martha Lawton. Today I'm talking to debut novelist Alia Ali Afzal about the emotive topic of financial infidelity. Her novel, Would I Lie to You, tells the story of Pfizer, whose secret spending has got out of control, endangering her family, her home, and her marriage. It is a gripping read. Now, I was given a proof copy, so you know, this is a a gifted episode, but this has not affected how I feel about this at all. It is a really exciting, really fun book. So really looking forward to this conversation. Before we start, I just want to give you a reminder that there are lots of ways you can stay in touch with us at Squanderlust between episodes. If you ever feel like you want to talk to us about something in the show, you can. We are all over social media at Squanderlust Pod, and we have a group in the Good Pods app where you can chat to me and other listeners about the emotional side of money and how we can change our financial habits for the better. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Alia. Tell our listeners a bit about yourself. Thank you, Martha. Thank you so much. So, as you said, my debut novel is coming out uh, in four weeks, in fact, on July 8th. It's called Would I Lie to You? Um, I'm really excited. Um, As you said, it's about a woman called Pfizer who has secretly spent her family's emergency savings. And when her husband, Tom, suddenly loses his job, she has to replace the money quickly before he discovers the truth. Um, I came a little bit late to writing. Uh, I, I always loved to read and write, but I never really thought about writing a novel till my late 40s. So it's a really exciting opportunity for me. Um, and But when I think about it, you know, everything that I've done in my life has been getting me to this point because I'm really fascinated by people and what makes them tick. I worked for 18 years as um, an executive career coach, an MBA coach in the city and for business schools. And a lot of my sessions, as well as being, you know, focused on the career stuff were also about the emotional aspects of work and often money as well, which kind of seems to go hand in hand often. And before that, I studied Russian and German at university, which was also a way to really connect to different cultures and literature. And again, 
I'm fascinated by the study of human nature and what makes us do the things that we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so am I. <laughs> so am I. Would not be doing this show if I didn't find us as weirdo human beings to be completely fascinating, myself included, equally a weirdo human being. Um, so we're going to do, as far as possible, a kind of spoiler-free discussion of the story. Um, yes, please. I, yes. <laughs> Um, I, I will also say, even though you, you, we're recording this prior to uh, release date, it, it will be coming out probably afterwards. Um, and I also, I should really mention, because I forgot at the head of the show, that we are remote recording this. So apologies to our listeners briefly about um, if there are any glitches or, or sound quality issues, that's, that's what's going on here. Um, but to get back to this... So what was, uh, what was the inspiration for this story? So I was really interested to come across, you know, your podcast and the work that you do, because you. I think my inspiration stemmed a lot from this fascination with money and how money seems to be such a taboo subject. Um, and especially these days, you know, when people will talk about absolutely anything and put absolutely anything on, on social media and yet money is just such a funny topic that we are so coy about. So that really fascinated me. And the inspiration was personal as well, because, you know, mm. in my relationship um, with, with money and in my personal relationship, you know, in my marriage, my husband and I have really opposite approaches to money. <laughs> so you know, which can have its own interesting storylines as well, I can tell you. Yes, so, I'm familiar with this. Know, um, <laughs> unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm the spender, and he's the saver. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. we've always been like this. And, you know, I'm always the one who's saying, you know, oh, my goodness, we need to, you know, go on that holiday before we get too old um, to enjoy it. And we can put it on a card and think about it later. And mm -hmm. he's always the one saying, yeah, but, you know, what are we going to live on if we live to be 80? And so we're mm -hmm. completely opposite. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about that is that, you know, we never talked about this. We know uh. when we were dating, when we got together and we've been married a long time and our perspective, uh, you know, and our approach to money hasn't really changed. So that mm. kind of really fascinated me, you know, on a personal level as well. Um, and the fact that this is such a taboo subject. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I, I relate to that definitely because in spite of the fact that it's my job to understand money and to teach people how to use money better um, and to explain all these kind of tips and tricks and I, I learn so much about money and our mindset, I'm certainly, my sort of basic inclination is often towards overspending and uh my husband is incredibly rational about money <laughs> just his, <laughs> he's he's very much a sort of i wouldn't say he's an underspending type at all he's not um he's not sort of tight in any way but he's very yeah. much somebody who sets yeah. a goal and works towards it um which is you know whereas i i tend to be a little bit more loose around this kind of thing although that you know has changed 
I think, um, and, and in part working on this podcast, I've talked about it being a kind of commitment mechanism for me in the past, where I sort mm -hmm. of have to live up to the standards that I'm talking about in public. So it actually really helps me to do this. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do totally understand. And it, it can be one of these things that if you don't talk about it, it, it becomes a source of tension where there is no, no other tension. It can be really yeah. challenging. Yeah, yeah. No, I and I absolutely agree. And I think uh, my husband is also what I would call rational. And I think that's one thing I noticed that he could be very clear headed about money, whereas I had certain emotional um, sort of attachments towards it. And my response tended to be emotional. And mm. so I totally recognize, you know, the rationality versus the irrationality of just feeling this rush, which is I came to understand you know, was leading a lot of my spending. And mm. interestingly enough, similarly to you, I found that writing this book has actually been an incredible tool for me to examine my relationship with money and also, you know, how it work, plays out in our relationship. And I, I still hate talking about money. I absolutely hate <laughs> it. We do not talk about it. However, I'll tell you, when I was talking through plot lines with my husband... Yeah. It was an amazing yeah. opportunity to do it kind of through Faiza and Tom so that it's not uh -huh. personal to us. And, uh -huh. um, and I hope actually others can maybe use it in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's really good. And it, it does, I think you, you can see in the book to some extent how um, money can be used as a, a tool for control in some ways, even if somebody isn't controlling, even if somebody doesn't intend to be controlling, you know, I'm not talking about sort of economic abuse or, or mm -hmm. um, people who are trying to control somebody else through money in a, in a negative way, but just um, even somebody who seems to be rational and goal oriented can in fact, in some ways be quite controlling because uh, the structure, the rationality, the goal setting is itself a kind of control. Mm -hmm. um and when they get if something knocks them off plan you know there, there can be quite a strong reaction to that so I think it's uh yeah it, it's not always obvious I think when somebody's overspending it it can seem really obvious where the emotion is and where the where the not necessarily rational behavior is but mm -hmm. it's it's not that's not the only place it lives <laughs> no and I think you're absolutely right and that control that that rational approach also comes from somewhere and it needs a need, uh, you know meets a need inside somebody to feel secure so maybe underlying it all there is a kind of some kind of emotional root to that as well and mm -hmm. uh, and I think the tension and conflict in relationships can come when you know in each person's mind they're not really doing anything wrong but the yes. other person just can't understand the other person's point of view and that's you know some of the tension in the book as well um, and, you know, when you were asking me also about inspirations, I found, yes. you know, that I, I tend to be sort of the friend in the group that everyone tells their secrets to. Ooh. Um, and, and it was really fascinating to me. So I would be going, say, meeting a group of friends for lunch or for dinner, and somebody would pull me aside and tell me some terrible problem they were having, perhaps with money or they'd lost their job or, they, you know, some, and then we'd go mm. into the dinner and they would just pretend to be very happy and not mention it to anyone else. And, yeah. 
similarly with my job, because as a career coach, you know, our sessions are a very confidential space. So people feel comfortable opening up to me about things mm. like money and money problems and conflicts mm. around money. So I began to see that, yes, I had an experience of this, but it was an experience many people shared and yes. very few talked about it. It was seen yes. almost as shameful or like we said, a taboo. And that also kind of prompted me to kind of explore this topic in my book because I didn't understand when it's such a huge part of our lives and impacts everything, why we are so um, you know, unwilling to talk about it or open up about it. Yeah, I think one of the things I really enjoyed reading the book was uh, not just uh, the issues of Pfizer and Tom and their relationship and their relationship to money and how that played out between them, but also all of the uh, the lesser characters, the minor characters, not lesser, um, mm -hmm. but the the non main characters and their um, their tensions and the the strange ways that money was used. Mm -hmm. as a proxy for something else in their relationships for example mm -hmm. that you're not just giving one perspective on how money can play out in family dynamics there's there's a whole range of mm -hmm. of stories explored here as well as the relationship dynamics i also wanted to look at you know how money empowers you or otherwise just in your lives and a lot of the women um in the book um, are stay-at-home mums and you know the power dynamic in their relationship has suddenly flipped these were all professional women and they used to have their own disposable income and when that goes there is that loss of control almost in that as well and loss of agency in a way for them and I wanted to look at that as well and it's really interesting because in a way they become defined by their husband's jobs and the houses that they can afford because of their husbands and their husband status. And I found this quite interesting. You know, I'm doing a, an MA in creative writing as well. And also I love reading the classics. Um, and I was thinking about it that, you know, do these women in London, in present day London in 2021, are their economic situations really that different for say somebody in Jane Austen times? Because it seems to be so wedded to the men in their lives. Um, you know this, what? Yeah, it, it's really interesting that you say that because the minute that you talked about being the friend that everybody comes and tells their secrets to, I was immediately reminded of how Jane Austen was really kind of socially underestimated before she was a published author. And mm -hmm. people describe her as having been this person who was just sort of quietly sitting and listening mm -hmm. um, in the background and then... Uh, you know, she sort of came out with this book that had all these observations um, <laughs> about society. And I thought, well, if you're the friend that, that people tell their secrets to, that that bodes really well for you. <laughs> I think so. It's a useful thing to have, um, you know, as a as a writer. Though, of mm. course, oh my gosh, I would never tell my friends secrets. I would die. <laughs> but the themes, you know, my goodness. No, mm. no, I'm really careful, actually. Because all my friends will be reading this book. <laughs> I don't want anybody's <laughs> stories in there. Uh, but luckily, I'm sure. you know, it sparks <laughs> off your imagination. That's the other thing about writers. We listen, but we also have these crazy brains that work, you know, 100 miles an hour all day thinking, what if, what if, what if? Mm. Um, but yeah, mm. but so, so the social aspect really fascinated me. And also, you know, I, 
I've been in a really interesting situation. I was a stay-at-home mm. mother for 10 years. Then I worked full-time. Then I worked part-time. So I've kind of experienced all those stages. And mm. I, you know, a lot of times people been, can be quite disparaging about, you know, the yummy mummies or the stay-at-home mothers mm. or, you know, people not working. But I also found that a lot of these women did have, you know, great careers, great education, but the mm. system that, that's set up, the, the, the work environments that we have are really very patriarchal and those yes. do not support women, uh, mothers continuing yes. to work. And often these women had no choice but to yeah. give up their jobs. Um, so really, I do not blame them at all. And I, I can see how difficult it is to lose, leave behind a career that you loved. So that's another aspect that really I wanted to show because I feel like sometimes people don't factor that in. I I agree. I agree. And there are some, there are very, some very sympathetic uh, characters amongst the, the mothers. There are also some very unsympathetic characters amongst the mothers as well. (laughs) I have to say some of them really, Ooh, I, I struggled with some of those characters. Um, Yeah. There are some, some uncomfortable competitive competitive people in there I'm sure those are uh familiar and again that's also quite Austin-esque I guess as well isn't it yes Um, you get always get the type a personalities and you also get you know Mm. the people were who were very type a at work as well who then transfer that Mm. completely onto their poor children (laughs) yes yes they do they do um we're going to take a little break there And when we come back, uh, we will talk a bit more about specifically financial infidelity as a topic. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. We're talking to Alia Ali Afzal about financial infidelity and her new novel, Would I Lie to You? So 
Could you give us a definition of financial infidelity? Because we've used this word a couple of times, but um, be be great to get your take on what it actually is. So I did quite a lot of research on this when I started writing the book because I wanted to delve in this subject a bit more deeply as well. And I was mm-hmm. really surprised to see two particular pieces of research. One was uh, by a solicitors in the UK, which found mm-hmm. that you know, money worries were one of the biggest causes of relationship breakup and divorce. Mm. And the other one was by a bank in America, which found that people will, you know, do anything, go through every milestone in a marriage, in a relationship, you know, Mm. um, getting intimate, moving in together, meeting the in-laws, but never talk about money. Mm. And so it seemed to me that this was, you know, financial infidelity was an area that was easy to slip into because it was just never talked about. Right. And I think financial infidelity to me, to me, it means keeping bad secrets. But mm-hmm. in, I think in general, objective terms, it probably means keeping any secrets. But there again, you have, you know, my take and what the objective take is, which is, again, shows you how complex a matter this is because mm-hmm. everyone yeah. will view it differently. So for me, it might be, you know, spending a lot of money, uh, not telling my husband, having secret mm-hmm. debt, doing what mm-hmm. Pfizer did. To other people, sure. it might just mean just having, you know, secret savings, a secret account, yeah, or just not revealing how much you earn or not telling somebody about a bonus that you got. Mm. Or, or for some people, it would even be, you know, splurging a little bit every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's, and I think a, it's a big thing. Yeah. 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 I think that that's very true. There's also sort of a fine line between just running your finances separate from your partner. I mean, I don't tell mm-hmm. my husband everything that happens. Um, mm-hmm. If there is something that will affect us and our goals as a couple, mm-hmm. um, or if I need something from him or... Uh, If he says there's something he needs from me or we have some kind of change, of course, we'll talk about it. But if things are just Mm -hmm. kind of taking along, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I run my, like I said, I run my finances quite, quite separately from him. Mm -hmm. And I I certainly wouldn't consider that to be any kind of financial infidelity. Um, It's just that we don't have everything fully merged. Um, So that's it. Yeah, it's interesting that there are sort of shades through this, right? It's something I about. I think so. Mm. Um, yeah. It was really interesting because the other thing I was thinking about and I was talking mm. to somebody about is, you know, is financial infidelity as bad as sexual infidelity? Yeah. And again, when you look at sexual infidelity, you know, some people think kissing is being, <laughs> you know, mm. unfaithful, kissing somebody else. So, and there's a whole spectrum. And I found it was similar to this. But I think you make a really good point because I think the infidelity part is when it affects you as a couple, you as a family, you know, where it's Mm. going beyond something you've agreed together, because of course, you know, your personal finances are going to be your personal finances. And most people will have separate accounts or separate kind of financial lives that do not impact the family or each other and be quite happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's really important to have that open communication and, I, I certainly, if my husband wanted to ask me questions, 
I would answer those. And I think the same is true with him. There's no, there's no active covering up. I'm sure he would tell me everything if I wanted to sit down and go through um, what's happening with us. So that's fine. I think it's where there is some kind of, yeah, actively a secret. Like, as you say, would mm-hmm. I lie to you? Is there is there a lie to tell here? Yeah. Um, I think that's where perhaps one, at least one of the lines is crossed as far as I'm concerned. It's yep. interesting that we talk about um, secret savings and secret, uh, holding secret assets potentially. Um, mm-hmm. Because although that's a less obvious one, I read a, a blog post a few years ago by an accountant who worked together um, unearthing sort of secret assets that are being hidden during divorce cases. And again, I think that's where there's a kind of where is where is that line? You know, you might think that secret savings are actually fine. And in some cases they might be, Um, Mm -hmm. especially if if you have a partner who's a little bit you know, mm-hmm. spend happy <laughs> you want yeah. to <laughs> protect the family assets. But, mm-hmm. but you know, hiding assets and hiding investments and savings mm. because you intend to divorce and you don't want uh, your partner to get what's actually their fair share yeah. out of it is mm-hmm. a very different deal. So mm, it's, a, it's a complex, complex issue here. Mm-hmm. Um. What do you think about, so so we're encouraged to really empathize with Pfizer. This is a first person novel written from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And she has done something that I think a lot of people would really judge at the outset. Mm-hmm. How do you go about creating empathy for a character who's done something that's that a lot of people would judge like that? And uh, what do you think of the balance between having empathy with that character and then thinking that they need to take responsibility for what they've done and our empathy with Mm -hmm. Tom. So let's talk about that just generally. So this was one of the most difficult aspects um, in writing the book. Uh, I was really keen to make a real person Mm -hmm. and a flawed person. And, you know, sometimes I do come across, uh, you know, leads, uh, female leads and books and they are almost saintly and they're perfect and everything is right and somebody's cheated them. And, you know, it's like we're immediately asked to be sympathetic. But, you know, mm. I, I don't really know saintly, many saintly people. I'm not a saintly person and I don't find them that interesting or real. And I, it mm. was really important to make me to make somebody real and nuanced. And I wanted to make a good person who had made a terrible mistake. So what fascinated me about writing this character is that, you know, she's not a victim of something somebody's done to her. She's a victim of her own actions and she's brought all this on herself. Um, And what I liked about her is, though, that she owned it and Mm -hmm. she didn't blame anyone else. She did her very best to try to see if she can try and fix it. What about Tom's reaction? Because Tom also is a flawed character and perhaps a character that we don't, we don't necessarily see because he's, um, it's quite a masculine fragility in a Mm -hmm. funny kind of way. Um, you know, it's, it's very understated. 
Uh, but it's also really devastating for, for Pfizer. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about creating his character? Yes. And I think similarly for Tom, although he was our hero, he had to be a flawed hero as well. And, you know, he had to have his issues. Um, <clears throat> and I think what I wanted to show was the dynamics in the relationship, which changed uh, once the you know, as we were talking before, when Pfizer had her own job and she had her own finances coming in, this was never really an issue mm. because each of them was sort of managing it in the way they wanted. And mm. also, you know, he had a job, everything was fine. It was only when these changes happened that these little cracks really came to the fore. And so Tom, as much as Pfizer is influenced by the way she was brought up, you know, her modest upbringing and also her parents' situation and feelings around money. Tom was also, you know, influenced by his parents and the way, you know, never touch savings and this kind of control over money. Mm. So, yeah, I think that, you know, really came to the fore. And I think sometimes it does happen that when you have the man as the breadwinner and the woman is home, I wanted to show that, that sometimes that there is a power balance, however much you mm. love each other, however much the husband respects what the wife is doing, um, there is this really subtle shift yeah. of power. And I wanted to show that really with Tom, that it can sometimes even happen imperceptibly, even that person might not realize what they're doing. Yeah. But it does yeah. happen. And, and then you get this reversal and there's the combination of the power switch, but you also mm -hmm. get the, the judgment from people who agree with that patriarchal system. You know, not mm -hmm. everybody is a feminist. No, nope. <laughs> um, not, nope. not everybody is here for equality. And, and there are people yeah. who, and even some people who, who would consider themselves to be in favor of equality or, or say they are, if asked, they still hold those attitudes of judgment against anybody who goes against the, the sort of traditions or norms. And, and that judgment is, is there, right? It's so true. And I, you know, as I said, I've experienced, you know, being a stay-at-home mother, working full-time, working part-time. When I was a stay-at-home mother by choice, and I think that's what I wanted to show as well. It's a choice. We can do, you know, what we want and we should have that choice. A lot of people said to me, you know, you're wasting your degree, your experience. <clears throat> Did you do all that just to change nappies and stay at home? So there was judgment around that. Then when I was working, there was judgment around how can you leave your children? You're such a bad mother. <laughs> you're just focusing yes. on your career. And mm. we are so quick to bash mothers, to be honest. Mm. We are so quick mm. to bash women for their yeah. choices. And you will always, yeah. and so because I've had all these experiences, I can really see it from all these perspectives that you can never yeah. get it right, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, agree. I completely agree. Um, the point is, is not to find the, the right way to be. The point is that there is no right way to be and you're always off balance and you're always sort of struggling to, to keep up in some way because you're mm -hmm. not getting, you're not meeting the ideal. Um, speaking about sort of struggling to keep up or not meeting an impossible ideal, uh, you touched on it 
already a little bit in this conversation, but I wanted to talk a bit about um, Pfizer's feelings about race and about fitting in, because this is also a really big factor in some mm-hmm. of her choices. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you tell mm-hmm. us a bit about that? Yeah. So Pfizer, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, the story is about Pfizer, who's a brown woman. But the story is mm. not about her being a brown woman, if you see what I mean, because it's about a woman I, I spending agree. too much money <laughs> and, and lying yeah. about it. However, mm. you know, because she's a brown woman, there are certain experiences that she has that come with that identity. And I really didn't want to not show her full range of experience because this is her life. This is who she is. And some of what she's going through now is affected by what she went through as a child. So, you know, those feelings of not fitting in, which may have been about race before and ostensibly now is more about money. Mm. And yet, you know, on a very nuanced level, there are certain microaggressions that she comes across. Yeah. Even in the supposedly, you know, very liberal kind of cosmopolitan um, society that she moves in. So, yeah. I, I felt that was really important to show um, because I think, you know, we, we think of racism as something very overt of, you know, people shouting racist slurs or, or, or things like that. But it's it can be almost like even sometimes an unconscious bias. So I want to really display this for people who are not maybe aware of it. So, you know, one of um, Faisal's friends, uh, you know, is not actually aware of what's happening and Faisal has to tell her. Um, So I thought it was important. And sometimes it is downright, you know, a racist attitude Mm. that's coming down in a uh, posing as something else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I felt like you're, you're right. You've achieved what you wanted to achieve in this in that it's it's more that her experiences contribute to this sense of do I fit in or a sort of wider sense of insecurity that then plays into being a factor in her other choices rather than sort of uh, Pfizer being um, a brown woman first, mm-hmm. Pakistani descent first, and then mm-hmm. being Pfizer. So, you know, she's Pfizer mm-hmm. and she's happened to have these experiences and they happen to, and, and race happens to be a factor in the experience she, she's had um, mm-hmm. and has ongoing so I definitely didn't think that it, you kind of, you're not hitting us over the head with it. It's just a kind of a it's factor It's part of her experience. And I think it's important yeah. because I didn't want to write about her and not reference, you know, her heritage. And I, I really mm. also really wanted to show, you know, somebody who straddles two cultures really comfortably. Mm. So mm. I think she has that, you know, she's bilingual. She has her mm. Pakistani culture. She has her British culture. She has her... English family with Tom she's married to a white man and Mm. you know this has been my experience as a British Pakistani woman myself growing up um, in England Uh, and yet I don't see a lot of this to be honest Mm. in literature or in media and it's my experience it's the experience of my family a lot of my friends Mm. and yet all we see are these very polarized realities Mm. which is not always the truth yeah yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think it's a really good insight into a very relatable family 
uh, for anybody from from any from any background. And and that's mm. you know we are all humans, so of course it's, <laughs> they're a relatable family <laughs> because they're a family, right? Yeah. Um, and money, and... I tell you honestly. Um, it's so interesting, you know, my, my mom mm. told me a story about, mm. you know, this was set in the fifties about a woman she knew who had borrowed money from a money lender. Oof. And, um, this was years ago, I think in the, yeah, in the fifties and she had small children and her husband had a very important prestigious job and yep. the money lender started asking for the money back. And mm-hmm. she was too ashamed of, you know, what it would do to her husband's reputation and what her husband would do. And my mom told me this, by the way, after I'd written the book. So she read mm. my book and she said, this is what, what, what happened, that, a story that I want to tell you about. And that poor mm. woman, she committed suicide. Huh. And yeah. it was so horrendous. She had three small children. So oh. I started to think, you know, um, this has been a, an issue, I think, across, you know, cultures, across time. It's an mm. age-old thing, money. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can go absolutely back through all sorts of stories and and find mm. how money becomes a, a source of conflict. Um, but as you say, you know, it, it's that conflict is exacerbated when there are secrets, and that's yeah, that's I think what is so fascinating about this. Mm. Um is you know you're united in dealing with it as an issue if you are able to be open about it but mm-hmm. uh when you can't when this taboo is there you you can't present a, a united front and make a plan together and i actually i love this that that um the earlier attempts that, that tom and pfizer make to try and work out a way of dealing with money together Mm-hmm. those aren't necessarily effective because they haven't dealt with the stuff, right? <laughs> They've got the baggage, yeah. each of them, and they haven't dealt with it. So they try and they're a bit inept early on. And, and, yeah, you know, it's a, and I think that's that, what that, fascinates that me because, you know, yeah, and I think it's similar. I think of it sometimes even something like dieting, okay, or, or trying to lose weight. I mean, if you look at it, it's really simple, okay? You eat less, you eat certain things, you exercise. But, it should be really, if you look at it rationally, it's a really straightforward equation. And with money, it's not a big deal. You sit down, you say, this is how much we have. These are our goals. This is how much we can spend. But it's never that simple. And, and you know, part of it, you know, my fascination with this topic and why I wrote about it in this book is why is it so hard to talk about it? Why does all mm. the research say that we hate talking about it? And why do I absolutely clam up if my husband says, you know, what was this thing or, or how much did you spend on this thing? And I just do not want to say I will change the subject. I will talk about anything else but that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why yeah, is it, yeah. you know, why is it such a difficult thing for us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we, we've touched on, on so many reasons here around yeah. control and identity exactly. and independence and... Yeah. Um, yeah, whether whether or not you you fit in and belong, and um, your ability to provide for your children and your gender identity, and so many That's sort of areas it. that just tie in. Guess it's what? There's a about- whole podcast's worth <laughs> of content. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, 
Absolutely. Because <laughs> it's never about the money, you know, it's about being judged. It's about your identity. It's about, you know, so many things, never, never just about the money. Mm, I agree. I agree. So we like to wrap up the show with a bit of advice if we can for our listeners. So I'm hoping that you, in all of your research and all of your thinking around this, you came to some conclusions <laughs> and perhaps you can uh, give our listeners some some tips or some of your thoughts around uh, responding to financial infidelity, whether they are the the person who is keeping a secret or if they are the person who has learned of a secret or suspect their partner may be keeping some kind of secrets around money. Any thoughts from you? Well, yes. I mean, I think, you know, there is a sense of such a huge betrayal if you have been the one who's the victim, say, we'll call it mm -hmm. a victim, at the receiving end of financial infidelity. There's shock, mm -hmm. you know, there's that horrible thing of somebody lied to you. And that's why it's in the title as well, because really in a relationship, that's what it comes down to. You should be able to, in a relationship, you should be able to believe whatever the other person tells you. And mm. this is a relationship in which there should not be lies. And, mm. you know, it's the lies that are at the core of it because they build up this distance. They build up a sense of betrayal, the sense of, you know, what else are you lying about? So yeah. it's a really, it's a big, it's a big deal when, you know, somebody has lied to you about money. Because it's, again, yeah. it's not just about the money. And then, yeah. of course, there's the whole money aspect, you know, how it's going to impact your life. It can do, it can in severe circumstances, like in Pfizer circumstances, impact everything in your life, yeah. affect your children, affect everything. And then on the other side, you know, the person has huge guilt, mostly, unless you're, you know, yeah. <laughs> completely unempathetic person you will have huge guilt you will carry this around this will cause mm -hmm. you immense stress you will be afraid to be yeah. caught out you will feel bad about what you've done to your significant other so there is a lot of emotion there and so I think that emotion needs to be you know worked on in a in a way and I, I would really recommend something like counseling really and sitting down with another person to work through the emotional aspects of this because I think it's a lot to deal with yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it depends on the severity um, yeah. in terms yeah. of, you know, if it's not that bad and it's, you know, something that you've been feeling guilty about, it hasn't gone out of control, then I do suggest, you know, there's nothing for it. You have to sit down and talk and it's how you do it. So for us, honestly, writing this book really did help talking about mm. the plot lines. And I can yeah. tell you that we are talking about that much more than we ever did and it's taken away the emotional aspects of it because in a way you know it's not about us it is but it mm -hmm. isn't because we're discussing yeah. our issues and our reticence about talking about money through this couple this fictional couple mm -hmm. in my book so yeah, yeah. talk about yeah. it in a way that is not judgmental that is not accusatory although it's hard mm -hmm. so I yeah. mean I would yeah. say to my husband you know you can't say anything bad to me. You can't be angry with me. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this stuff and you have to promise me you're not going to. And bless him, he does try. At least he doesn't <laughs> say anything. And then I think that's how you need to do it. It's, the, it, it's you know, it's dis, dis, disentangling the emotion from uh -huh. the actual facts, the practical yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that that's it, isn't it? it? It's it's trying to pull those two things apart and and say we'll deal mm-hmm. with the the factual when we're ready, and we'll talk about the emotions, you know, that come mm-hmm. up with as much kindness as we can towards each other yeah. and as much understanding. And and actually, so this is something that my uh, therapist used to say: is anger is a bid for understanding. Um, mm. And that somebody who is angry often feels misunderstood. Um, mm-hmm. And so actually, if if you can approach conflict with curiosity, mm-hmm. that can often be quite a good way of, of negating some of the, the tension, <laughs> taking some of the sting out of things. But it's really hard. It is, it's really, really hard. It is hard. But it feels so good, yeah. you know, when you do it. Mm-hmm. I think one has to remember that it's, you know, it's also very hard and painful and stressful to carry these secrets around. Yes. And yes. when you can do it, it's the most amazing feeling. So it's like short-term stress for long-term, you know, stress-free life. So you got to you got to yes. attack it and approach it. And I really would recommend everybody. And honestly, if I can do it, because I'm the biggest secret keeper when it comes to money, <laughs> anybody can do it. If you have to write a novel to do it, do write a novel to do it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's been so great having you on the show. There's been so much insight and interest coming out of this. I I really loved it. Um, Where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more? Sure. So I'm on Twitter. You can find me at AAA is writing. And I'm also on Instagram, which is my full name, Alia Aliafsal author. So I'm both those places and I do talk about money and I do talk about lies and secrets as well. So (laughs) awesome. Amazing. Uh, We also will put a link to the book in the show notes so people can click through and order this. It is a bookshop.org affiliate link. So a little bit of the money will go to support the show and it also goes to support independent bookstores. So basically it's just a win, win, win. Um, so please do go and check that out. We'll also put links to your social profiles in there as well. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Alia. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our talk. You've been listening to Squanderlust, the podcast about the emotional side of money with me, Martha Lawton. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love one of those nice five-star reviews too. Or you can tell a friend about us, maybe somewhere on social media where we're at Pod. You can also find us at squanderlustpod.com where we put show notes, useful links and ways to support the show. Squanderlust is sponsored by Wardour Studios in Fitzrovia, London, with production by David Smith, Alicia Cunningham, Charlie Brandon-King and Tom Berry. Our theme music is by Wardour Studios and graphic design by Jason Reed. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.